final session of the forum for this special 10th anniversary edition, To Catch Flying Horses from the Sky, The Impossible Task of Dreaming in the Present. I just want to remind everybody that we have been inviting people because to build a toolkit, and uh, we've been asking that even if you don't have questions, that you can proffer, offer comments or dreams or suggestions, but also there's paper that we hand around at the end um, to write comments, and we're, we're gathering that, and we're going to use that in some form of publication. Yesterday, we had some incredible imaginings and renderings from the audience. And um, uh, oh, and for those who haven't been here yet, my name is Omar Khalif, or anglicized as Omar Khalif, uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm the curator of the forum. And um, I guess, as this is the last session, and I've been talked a lot and felt deeply emotional um, by some of the beautiful, moving arts and conversations, I wondered what it would feel like to maybe switch seats and to invite a friend uh, to moderate the last session, uh, which really is about our multiple selves and our multiple identities. In it. And if, you know, on the 10th anniversary, uh, to think of what it means to be in the context of working um, on a project about African art and African diasporic art. So I hand over to Dr. Reda to, uh, who guide us through, and our friend here, Turia Ilgrawi, who is the founder of the fair, has a, um, some vocal Adele-like... Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> she can't afford Adele's foot doctor. Yes. Um, so may, we may have to uh, write... We have green tea. I think we're going to make it. Inshallah. <laughs> That's the last uh, pieces of voice for today. <laughs> Um, thank you, Dr. Omar. Uh, welcome, everyone. Uh, my name is Rida Mumni, Rida Mumni, as uh, for anglicized, let's put it that way. I'm very happy to, to be with you, but also I'm really, really uh, grateful being, that you invited me and being here with you, Toria, uh, two really inspirational and very important figures on the artistic scenes today uh, to discuss what is having different uh, identities and um, this talk is also extremely interesting and um, for me because we are both from the same generation from different North African countries uh, sharing different identities living all around the world uh, and in different places developing multiple identities multiple also identities in the way we are looking at and the way we're somehow looking and trying not to define while defining and understanding art. So this session will be a discussion around our identity, the identity of African art. And I'm very, very happy to be with uh, Dr. Dr. Omar Khalif, who's, uh, as I was telling you, one of the most probably global curator, who's currently head of the collections of Shajarat Foundation, who's preparing also um, the, uh, the wonderful Biennale they are currently preparing and uh, who published a lot, uh, including very recently the art in the age of anxiety. And I'll mention also uh, the exhibition he did when he was a curator at Whitechapel because uh, 
our link with uh, my link with Omar is uh, one of our closest friends uh, for the imperfect chronology, chronology an exhibition on Arab and contemporary art and obviously uh, the uh, wonderful Turia uh, who has a voice extension this week has been very challenging I think for all of us around freeze 154 we did so many things met so many people and I'm very very glad uh, to be uh, to be with you today, uh, we will have a conversation. Whenever you are tired, Toria, just tell us, and I think we'll be able to. Uh, uh, you know, we are tired. Exactly, we are tired. Our voices are tired. Mine too. Maybe you don't know me, but this is a tired voice. But I think we have so much to say about who we are, what is African art, um, how we can see this definition of African art, and how also uh, for this tenth uh, edition, I think Dr. Omar wanted to finish with the last conversation about how, depending on the geographies and depending who we are and where we are, how we are defining and how this word uh, performs culturally, this word African art. So we will be speaking around uh, these very specific questions. And the first of them is the question, what is African art for you? So my personal definition, it's an art that is inspiring, that connects, that bridge differences, that is here to gather people. And uh, obviously, the official definition would be it's art made by artists that are based on the continent, that are part of the African diaspora, anything that is connected to the African uh, continent. Um, it has been, obviously, you know, a, quite a debate over those 10 years about, you know, what can we call African art? Can artists feel African? You know, like all those uh, questions have been debated here in this room, you know, in the past as well. Um, the reality is that we always considered Africa, the term African, you know, artist or African art, as really a, a, definition, a definition of, <clears throat> you know, a pride, a, a power, uh, uh, a word that will connect everyone and give a bigger voice, you know, to those artists. Um, obviously, as an artist, I completely understand as well, you know, the limitation of being categorized and being sometimes pigeonholed into a certain category. But I think what we were able to demonstrate with 154 and the 10 years of 154 is that, you know, there's also a very... Um, big shift that is happening. I think artists from Africa are very proud to be from Africa today. Um, and I think, you know, from a, a very established artist at the beginning who were a bit, you know, reluctant to be part of 154, to be, you know, be seen as back as an African artist when they worked so hard all their career to be considered just artists, you know, have also changed their mind. You know, they suddenly became also quite engaged of being part of 154. Um, and being understanding that this definition is also a very complex definition, you know, and even one, our fair 154, I mean, in its title, it reference to one as the continent, but 54 as the number of countries in Africa. It always wanted to be very open in terms of, uh, you know, demonstrating the diversity, um, the creativity, um, and the differences of identity of all those countries, you know, and we never never thought that we could represent everybody at the same time, but I think uh, having everyone on the same umbrella for this particular, you know, mission or movement, I want to say, was um, an advantage rather than a disadvantage. I think for me, to pick up from what you're saying, Turia, I, I, I think that to define African art today, you know, 
being African, being a, a curator, being a scholar, being an individual that is working with collections um, in terms of acquisition and world-building situated histories, what I've come to understand is that Africa, African art is about artistic practices where difference is to be celebrated as opposed to be annihilated. Um, where difference is, um, in, in, in a sense, can link to ideological history such as Pan-Africanism, which lead to solidarity. And I really believe that um, through the context of exploring and living on the continent, in and of and around the realm and orbits of artists who, who, who work it, in the continent specifically, and not just its diaspora, but really in the continent, I came to a negotiation with myself about who I was as a person even, which is that I felt connected and rooted in that space as opposed to other cultural ideologies that perhaps um, were put upon me. So I think if, if that's what it is, I don't see then I see there is no issue of African art, and actually it is an art that will endure and should endure forever. But the, the, the issue of like tokenization or ghettoization that does come up frustrates me a lot because I find that that's really just about the market. And it's, it's really about a few people talking about being at a marquee auction or being in a specialist regional auction. That's really all they're talking about. And I'm much more interested in talking about, you know, let's talk about history and let's talk about the actual work and how it, it, these, these people have been able to move across different forms and ideas through, through generations. And for me, it's, it, it's an area, because of a historical lack of... Um, publishing an archives for a period that it continues to be of interest to me as a, as a human, generally. Um, I, I, uh, on what you said, I mean, on the definition, I have another question for you, but I want to also, because I told you also I'm going to speak a little bit in <laughs> yes. order to, for you to rest. Um, so my background uh, was uh, studying uh, archaeology and antiquities. And uh, when you study, for instance, uh, and I come from Tunisia in North Africa, so I just wanted to mention also the question also that is problematic sometimes in African art is somehow when it's defined by, let's say, external cultural entities. Uh, when I was studying antiquities, to give you an example, the, the, the name Africa was one of the first provinces uh, the Roman provinces of North Africa, because the old territory of Carthage was called Africa. When the Romans arrived in North Africa, they created the first province of Africa. And then when they expanded in the second century, they, there was a distinction between what they called Africa Nova and Africa Vetus, which is the new and the old Africa. And somehow, this definition that gave the name of the continent and later also the kingdom of Ifriqiya uh, during the Islamic time around Kairawan, uh, the city of Kairawan, sorry, um, is really, really important on how it expanded and defined also the continent and the way they were speaking about art. And when you study this period of history, it was very interesting because everything that was pre-Roman 
was called African art, and everything Roman was called Roman art. To understand a distinction, a definition made also by the West already in, the anti uh, in antiquity. And I have the feeling sometimes also the question of, like, because we are speaking about uh, African art, it's also something that we can speak about when we deal with Middle Eastern art, is sometimes we have to embrace the word because it defines the creativity in what we are doing, but sometimes when it's used by different entities, or it becomes to be some, somehow problematic to us. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I'm always, these considerations uh, based also on really, really previous and past um, uh, concepts art, uh, of art history or hi history in general is very sometimes problem, uh, problematic. And, yeah. and I have the feelings we meet, we see it a lot with African yeah. art. But I have to say also that in 2013, the landscape was very, very different when we started. So even for the artists, you know, who were not feeling comfortable or feeling comfortable with this, it was not a choice of feeling comfortable with 154 being, regrouping all those artists from the African continent or the African diaspora. But it was that or nothing. There was nothing, you know, in London uh, giving access to those artists. Um, and I'm sure now, you know, we even had the chance to have different panels with younger artists. Um, their journey is completely different. You know, we are not dealing with the same, um, you know, landscape that we started in in 2013. So I think, you know, all things are going to change in terms of, you know, denomination and categorization, etc. I, for myself, in my own experience, having a father who was an African artist, but from North Africa. Um, we have, as an identity in my family, you know, and great African Ethiopian grandmother, you know, like I had, you know, I was born and raised in Morocco. My father never had an issue being categorized as African because our family had African members, you know, so when I decided to do 154, for me it was not even, I was so sure of my African identity that it was not even a question, you know, about do I feel African, do I feel North African or whatever, like we always talked about Africa as being a whole, you know, in my family because yeah. of my father's, uh, um, you know, different, you know, members uh, of the family. So, and he never had a problem being called an African artist. So I kind of like went a bit blindly with the fact that he didn't have a problem. So I don't think why everybody would have a, a problem, but it's a bit more complex than this that I got a bit later. <laughs> but I do, I do think though that, um, you know, Africa, as a continent, you know, as I referenced yesterday, I was invoking this map that Koyo have presented at a keynote in Chicago recently where there, you know, in Africa you can put in China and India and many, uh, much of Europe. And I mean, it's, 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 it's an expansive space. It's, 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 it's a highly populated place. And it is incredibly heterogeneous in terms of the ethnicities that live in, in the continent, in terms of the people who are indigenous to that place, in terms of uh, the, the languages that are spoken. And so for, for me, it's um, the, the reason that I, I've never embraced uh, and never and don't use term, the term Middle East is that it was popularized by uh, an American naval officer, and it assumes a, a, a specific um, topography um, of the, uh, and a, a specific geolocatedness that is uh, arched and anchored around power. While as being African, you know, parents from 
uh, Egypt and the Sudan, as it was once known, uh, is, is that's in Africa. But I remember being in university in my first year in Scotland and being told by someone that I was Asian. And, I, and uh, <laughs> Egypt and the Sudan were in Asia. And I said, I need you to look at a map. And this was like, but, but it's, it's really to say that also, like when you, when you, when you move and live in a place, there are borders and there are boundaries and there are cliques and there are cultures and there are differences, but that's like every place. But what I what I like to 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 remind people is that the African continent was and has been subjected to one of the most you know violent historical um, colonization and rapid decolonization movements, and in a way it's constantly. Um, in a state of restructuring, and when we had our conversation earlier today with Smooth and Wesley about what does it mean to be a curator who's focused predominantly on collecting artists from the continent in a museum like MoMA, uh, and the, the true reality that there are, is not always or necessarily the infrastructure there yet. And so how do we build so the question becomes, how do we build that? So we create, we're creating a two-way dialogue, you know, where we're building an ecology in, in multiple places, multiple seats of imagination. And that's what I really aspire to do in these rooms and hope that, that it, it could spark a conversation of like, one young person who happens to have a lot of money to go open a museum. I know that sounds naive, but it's actually it's how many great things begin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we saw that in the past, and I think we see it also very frequently, especially now in the, in the African uh, continent. But what I want to know also about these questions is what about the context of Africa, African art within the exhibitions and in the market? Uh, we have, like, uh, obviously a beautiful example with 154. Uh, we have also the exhibition of Kamala Ibrahim uh, Ishaq right now at the Serpentine. It's really, really uh, beautiful to see more African art also in the first in general. But what about the context of African art in general within the exhibition, within the fair? Uh, and according to you, how these could be improved or handled in general? So I definitely, I definitely think that, you know, exhibitions and curatorial exhibition came before the fair, you know, um, and they came, you know, at a cycle, not every time, but you had like maybe a big exhibition every five years, you know, in the past, I want to say 30 years. Um, but when you think about the first one exhibiting artists from the African continent in the UK, I think it was in 1969 here in the Camden Art Center with some very important artists who are now, you know, uh, the <laughs> Sonia Boyce, Lubina Hamid, and I think there's uh, even um, Frank Bowling was on that exhibition. So it was all about African diaspora artists living in, in London. And I think France, it was in 1989 with uh, Magicien de la Terre in Saint Pompidou and there was Africa remix, you know, like in London, I think in 2005. All those exhibitions, by the way, I read about them because I wasn't, you know, very involved with 154 at the time. 
Um, so, but I know they shaped, you know, really the, the, the publications we had, you know, the research that we could find, you know, on those artists. Uh, so for me, they were very important when I started working on, on, on the project. I feel like, you know, these exhibitions should have triggered more commercial aspect of uh, artists from Africa and the African continent, but for some reason they didn't. And uh, to come back to when I started 154, to be honest, because it was not my industry, even if I had a father who was an artist, I thought that you know I would do a bit of research and suddenly I would find that there was like three art fairs somewhere around the world already doing what I was doing. You know, I was not, I was very humble about, you know, I thought it was a great idea because I traveled Africa as amazing artists. I wanted to give them access, you know, whatever. But I was like, okay, you know, this has been done. I'm sure it can't be so good and they can be so talented and nobody has done it before. And I think, you know, to be honest and to be fair, the art market, the prices, the money um, is now, I want to say, a bit leading the way because this is where you can find the funding to do things. This is where you you see who has money and can help you, you know, support, you know, the fair and, and other, you know, specific project. But to come back to which is shipping what, I don't know, I think both. Um, I think you can't sustain you know, the success of an artist just with the market. You have to have the backup of the institutions, you know, to make sure that they have a long journey, I think, in their career. Um, so I think the, the, the galleries who are doing the best job are the ones who are balancing, you know, trying to sell well the artist and make him very successful, you know, from a financial point of view, but also the ones who's going to take the time to make a longer cycle sell, you know, to a museum to make sure that they will you know, publish a catalogue, make a publications, try to make sure that that artist has a, a bigger visibility globally and not think just about the, the commercial aspect of the, of the sales of his galleries. So I think, the, I mean, exhibitions, commercial, they both help, but um, there's definitely also this, um, I want to say, influence by artists who are making a lot of money at auctions are also shaping a bit the new generation of artists who also want have to, want to have that success. So sometimes instead of being themselves, they they are influenced by what they should um, uh, be doing to be commercially, you know, viable. Um, but I think you know people are learning, and I think you know the fact that we are talking about um, you know a, an artist from the continent having the choice of. Um, being, you know, part of the commercial market or the institutional market um, is unbelievable already. But I think for the exhibition, you probably can tell more about, you know, yeah. how it's shaping well, maybe I the I market. I think I think that it's, um, you know, I, I said to, I've said it once this week that the market and the market and the and the what was called what one could call the third sector, so-called not-for-profit sector, they nourish each other and they create some kind of ecology. And without each other, they can't survive because ultimately, I mean, if we think of this country alone, or even the U.S. or some or many other countries, there is not enough sustainable government funding for any kind of art, for from any kind of artists. Full stop. So you, that relationship and that. Those lines, they're not blurred, they're clear, like how we have to all support each other, right? And to support artists, it's about this idea of creating the archive, the, the monograph, the research, the discursive spaces, and so forth. But one of the issues is that, um, I mean, I worked at the Museum of Contemporary Art Chicago when the Kerry James Marshall 
exhibition Mastery, which kind of changed his life and many artists' lives, began at the MCA, was organized by the MCA and traveled to the Met Breuer and then to LA Mocha. And at our auction uh, for our 50th anniversary, uh, Kerry was so kind as to donate <coughs> a beautiful painting, um, which sold for 750 something thousand dollars to one of uh, the museum's trustees. And um, it then was brought into the exhibition where it toured these lovely venues. And, and it was interesting because Kerry James Marshall had a show at the Museum of Contemporary Art about 20 years prior, which wasn't painting. It was like all his kind of other works like as well. It wasn't focused on painting. This was the first show really focused on his painting and figura figurative painting. And that painting was uh, went to auction right after the show fetching, I don't know, 27 million, something like that. And uh, the exact figures I, are not even that important. And I think what was sad is it affected the artist a lot in a negative way, in an adverse way, and it affected the museum's trust in the artist in an adverse way, in that, you know, a trustee, you know, had managed to find the legal loophole to sell this work, and it's not like they were even... In, in, in other people's eyes, they have the money. Um, but that's the way the, the world works. That's the way the market works. And that is a reality. And I think that's a cautionary tale. But it created some strangeness, I think, which is that a lot of people were very interested in who bought it. Was it Jay-Z and Beyonce? Was it, who was it? And I find that, in a way, there's a positive aspect that I take from that is that there's a debate around art. That's good. But the negative aspect is that I think a lot of uh, younger generation of African and African diasporic artists started to paint like that because they thought that their galleries, they could get galleries quickly and that their galleries could sell their work at a much higher price, starting price point. Um, but it's not always been the case. And you can see figurative art that is, um, and I think one of the big questions that for people that confuses and confounds is how can this artist be that much and that artist be that much when they're the same age? And I, uh, the reality of the matter is it shouldn't matter because a good artist is ultimately someone that you believe that you can nurture, mentor, engage with over an extensive period of time. So it doesn't matter if this artist X is worth this much now, they can be worth nothing tomorrow. And that's why when I advise collectors or, or on collections, I say, if you don't love it, it doesn't matter if it's five pounds or five million pounds, you just can't buy it. It's just, if you don't love it, it's, it's, it's futile. And so, in a sense, I think that discussion has masked the more urgent discussion, which is how do we get some of that money that's going there back into the continent to build some infrastructure and also to support the platforms of things such as the forum and the fair and um, institutions that want to show artists from the continent but don't have the resource. And I can tell you that, you know, Kamala's show at Serpentine you know, it was co-organized by uh, our institution, Charger Art Foundation. And um, if the show wasn't consisting of majority loans 
from us, i.e. coming from one place, I think it would have been impossible to, do, to stage that exhibition because if those paintings were coming from all across the continent, the shipping cost on that and the technical impossibility of getting works out of those places. Yeah. I mean, getting work out of Sudan is very difficult. You know, so everything in that show was consolidated in Sharjah and then came because it's very difficult to, to, to do that. And, but also no one necessarily knows that name here in this country. How do you, if you rely on individual patrons, each giving a few thousand pounds, how do, how, how do you do that? Well, I had, um, I had a discussion with the Serpentine team on that, and I think there's another issue as well that uh, is, um, is raising, is being re I don't know how to talk English anymore, but mm. basically um, where they came to 154 to get patrons or collectors that were buying African art to maybe support that exhibition. And my question to them was like, is it going to Africa after? What are you doing for Africa? You know, why would African collectors would support that exhibition being in London, which is great for the visibility, don't get me wrong, but like it is also important that they made the effort of thinking of mobility, you know, but mobility from Europe to Africa, from America to Africa. America does it really well between museums, you know, in Europe, in the US. Um, and I'm often approached, you know, to see who sponsored 154, you know, who could sponsor, you know, some of those African exhibitions. And I always say to them, you know, it's very difficult for any of the contacts I have to be helpful if you're not telling them that there's something going back to the, to the continent, you know, in terms of an exhibition, of a publication, etc. They're not going to do it to promote a UK museum in a way, you know, like when they can buy art for themselves instead or, you know, supporting their local ecosystem. So it is also, I think, one of the new thoughts of those curating exhibition that are extremely important because Kamala's work, I mean, will be wonderful to be seen all over Africa, you know, um, that, you know, when they are doing those collaboration with the Sharjah collection, etc., that they also think of opening up to one or two spaces in Africa as well. And I'm sure with that, in that, um, I guess, um, pitch, you know, they will have more, you know, sponsors or even interest, you know, from African potential museums of private family, you know, to support uh, a show in the UK. And maybe that's something that we can aid in doing in connecting people, not, not necessarily with a specific project, it's just like, just generally opening the doors to knowing. I think that 154 does that a lot. But maybe it's about like a speed dating, and and and, <laughs> and you know because it, it it kind of is necessary almost to kind of just to know the faces because people there are people who do things on the continent who don't even have the time or the resource to actually be away because they literally do everything in the institution. Um, it's that it's very difficult to do that. So how do um, they meet their counterparts so that? Yes, a sponsor might want to support a show if it's then going to go here and it's supporting all of that. And it's true, a lot of work goes into putting that, stuff, that material together. So why can't it go to a museum on the continent after? But if it's always an afterthought, it's not going to happen and we need to change that, I think. Yeah. Definitely. And what is interesting also with both of you is you founded uh, a fair that connects so many people. And uh, Dr. Omar, you are working in an institution that is developing so much programs around African art, 
uh, they will be in Africa Center also in Sharjah. Um, Institute. Institute, sorry. Uh, in Sharjah and also um, some people remember important exhibition here in the UK including at the Tate of Ibrahim Salahi but a lot of people forget that these projects started also in Sharjah and um, somehow the exhibition of Kamala Ibrahim Ishaq and also Ibrahim Salahi are exhibitions of artists from Sudan because Sudan connects the Arab world Africa, a part of Africa, obviously. So sometimes it, I don't want to say it tick the boxes, but for a lot of people, it is the case. But what I want to know is having like your, your view and perspective of the fact of belonging to multiple institutions and identities also, uh, being Sudanese, being Arab, being African at the same time. I think you both have a history of multiple identities and you understand some, some, I mean, we all understand, but we have a very particular view on having different identities and I want to hear uh, from you about this. So as I said, you know, my personal life, I never saw those borders, you know, but by starting the fair, those invisible borders suddenly became very visible, you know, like when I tried to um, convince North African Gallery to be part of 154. For them, 154 were more West Africa, Sub-Saharan, you know, type of, um, of fair. So they're like, we don't have our place there. You know, they didn't attach themselves to, uh, to the term Africa, what it meant for them. Um, but don't get me wrong, when I decided to do the fair in Marrakesh, I had a lot of Sub-Saharan Africans telling me, why are you doing it there? It's not Africa. Come do it in West Africa or South Africa or whatever. So you I know, think. sorry, I don't want to interrupt you. But uh, on <laughs> Monday night we had a, a dinner and uh, there was uh, uh, Romuel Bezume, an artist uh, with whom I started speaking, and he, he asked me. He said, "Where are you from?" And I said, "From Tunisia." And I said, "I'm African, like you." And he said. No, but you are Arab, you're not African. And I was like, okay, like yeah. step back. But there is a lot of these uh, there's lines. There's definitely those lines uh, that are getting, you know, more and more, I guess, um, um, I, I want to say smooth, you mm -hmm. know, in terms of how people are perceiving. I think, for example, Morocco did a lot to go back and belong to the African Union, you know, in the past years. Um, and they had like you know, problems with the, with the part of Morocco that people were not recognizing and all this fuss was about, you know. Uh, but I think, you know, this was a huge campaign about Morocco regaining its Africanity, I guess, and belonging to the African Union. Um, and we felt it in Morocco, like, really deeply. We saw the business going to Africa. We saw the airline becoming a hub for all Africa. We saw really, you know, people following that leadership in terms like we are African type of thing. So when we went to Morocco in 2018, it was really, I want to say, the time when Morocco was really putting its foot down, saying, you know, we are, you know, with the African flag, you know, like everybody should, you know, uh, embrace it. Um, um, I want to say that, you know, I see, you know, people telling me, you know, sometimes, you know, that they are North African more than they are, uh, um, you know, African in general, or thinking, you know, the Arabic culture, links them more to Middle East or to Dubai, you know, some, some also prefer to do Art Dubai than 154. I mean, all those are truth. 
Um, but I see also people more and more working, collaborating. So for example, we have, since we started a gallery called Gallery 1957, who started with Guyanian artists, but also embraced the rest of Africa. We have a gallery from Morocco who also participated in 154, starting representing artists from the rest of Africa. So there's this also those like borders that they are being more and more, you know, accepted. And I want to say that 154 is the reason, but I mean, it's definitely a place where they connected. They maybe had a better understanding of each other, you know, and what they could do and that, the, you know, they were, the galleries themselves were attracted to those artists. So they thought they could definitely, you know, engage with their country, with those artists. But again, you said it, Africa is huge. So if you're a Ghanaian artist or Ghanaian galleries, you know, you're already, you know, trying to to be and exist into your your country. I don't attend, I expect, you know, Nigerian to feel Moroccan, you know, in any kind of the day. Um, but I would love a Nigerian to come discover Morocco, you know, for the fair and like embrace 154. Um, and we have a lot of that. So a lot of people taking the opportunity to come to Morocco because they've never been and um, they want to discover the art and, and, and vice versa. I go a lot to the rest of Africa all the time. Um, and it's such, I mean, I, I wish I could explain the joy I get from, um, you know, discovering artists, going to galleries, going to different art fairs, because it's such um, uh, an eye-opener, you know, um, a, a feeling that of belonging that I have when I go to those, uh, to those countries. But we did an amazing um, talk here. Maybe you've seen it, one of you, but it was with, I think, Jihad Tahrini. Mm -hmm. the Egyptian writer and author, and she basically had the key, um, the keynote, and her talk was called The Great Divide. Um, and she said that she was one year, you know, in this African festival, Pan-African festival, where they had a committee, um, and she was told to not engage with the discussion because she was Egyptian uh, and not, you know, uh, part of West Africa or the people who were around the table and she said that for her it was very shocking you know to get that as an insult as you know she was embracing the whole pan-african you know uh, identity and really feeling that she was part of this uh, um, and I don't know you know we all are people um, that either we are very certain of our identity. So for example, if some people talk to me in Arabic and I, I, they, they feel like one of yours you know, speaking um, Arabic because they think I'm North African and I belong more, I'm confident in myself that, you know, I'm also French. <laughs> I'm also, um, you know, uh, African in many ways. I don't let it define me. You know, I feel like um, it, is, um, it is in my advantage rather than in my disadvantage. I feel that that culture uh, in having an extra layer, either of Arabic culture or, or different religion or different um, um, uh, nationality, identity, is making me but even richer in terms of wh who I am. I think you know, uh, you know, one fifty-four as the concept. You know, to have it to be singular and plural. You know, to invoke Nancy. You know, like it's very much in the in the in the very concept of, of the construction of the fair. And I also, um, I don't, my, my PhD actually was about uh, arguing against the construction of uh, Arabness and Middle Eastern co constructions completely in that um, I argued that Arabness was a cultural ideology that was tied to a very specific moment in time that 
it no longer exists and that formally and aesthetically, if you put so-called modern Arab art next to contemporary art, they don't, there's no connection at all almost, um, except in the bad art. Um, uh, but, uh, and then, so, and I also, I don't even know, Middle East for me is, is it, it is popularized militaristically, but also the term Middle East is how we got to this North Africa thing, to say Middle East and North Africa. It was, it was to become divisive, so I, 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 I mean, I found a methodological approach to literally decimate those things and to argue that to look, to look at things in a very different located manner. So that's when I, and I defended that PhD in almost 10 years ago now, and I'm, I still think, I still haven't managed to write the book, to adapt it because I find it it's still something that I I, I said it in the last in the morning it's, it maybe it feels like too negative so, something to write about I haven't got the positive proposition uh, after the, but for me I lived in um, northeast Limpopo in South Africa for almost two years when I was really lost in life and it, it was magnificent but what I, what I learned is the same thing that you experience in South Asia and many other countries um, or clusters of countries together is that mobility between African countries is not always easy for individuals in certain countries and we need to remember, uh, continents, sorry, you know, we need to remember that. So it's like in, in India, Bangladesh and Pakistan, like you, you cannot necessarily move amongst those countries and for many Africans, some passports don't allow you entering to other countries, and uh, class plays a huge part into that. Um, so I, I think we also need to remember that a lot of people don't get to experience the continent itself, and that we need to create reasons for people to, to do that. Which again goes back to, this, you know, singular and plural is like, how do we take this event and make it a bridge back? Um, I think it's in publishing, it's in broadcasting, it's in touring projects back and but also creating a, the, a setup to meet more people. I mean, essentially, if you're invited into a space, you know, I don't think anyone would say no. Yeah. But we need to also be invited. Yeah. So we to to come to this, we did this event pre-fair, just like on Wednesday before we opened the fair, where we thought that was exactly, you know, the way of getting those things to change, but having African art centers, foundation, museums connect to each other, talk to know each other better, to know what they're doing, you know, on the continent. And to be honest, we had 27 organizations present, which was not bad because we didn't have the budget to invite them to come. So the people who really wanted to be there, um, you know, be part of that networking event and have a, a workshop the next day, visit the fair, etc. Um, but of course, you know, this is also the reality of our own context. Is like um, a small organization, you know, in Uganda might not you know, take the opportunity to come all the way here if they're not invited because they are not um, 
uh, financially you know, funded. They are spending their whole time trying to get funds, redo their building, etc. A lot of those foundations are, are artist-led also um, organization where you have fantastic artists who decided to go back and start their own you know, art center, you know, to engage with their a village or community, etc. So most of it is funded by their own, you know, uh, art, basically. So they are active when they can be active. They are um, uh, engaging with this art center when they have the finances to, to do it. And I feel like um, this is definitely a networking event that has a lot a potential to exist, you know, because people were really interested, etc. But it's also, you know, an event, a platform that has to create a space that can invite those people to meet together. And it doesn't need to be London, it can be anywhere in the world, but, you know, the, or anywhere in Africa. But, I mean, the idea is that the person who is leading it has to be able to invite a lot of people to have a fair, you know, representation um, and a fair engagement, you know, within mm. the continent. And when I did that with the idea of creating that space this year, uh, obviously I realized of all the difficulties, you know, as we were organizing it. Um, but one thing that I was sure was the people who were there, uh, you know, really benefited from talking to different people. And we opened it up at the last minute to also some of European organization that Africa is used to deal with. So the British Council, you know, were invited, for example, and they quite have a big role sometimes in Africa. Um, and then we invited people from the Art Council and things like that so they can have, you know, some kind of conversation. And I was like, you know, maybe it's not the point of being African only, you know, maybe it has to be with those connections because when I talk about an exhibition from the U.S. not traveling to Africa, it will never do if, you know, those people don't talk. Um, so it's also about creating that dialogue, that network, you know, with the world rather than with just Africa. But what I wanted in that first was, you know, an African to an African you know, relationship. Um, and we are aware of everything that is happening on the continent in terms of collaboration, um, or even new organizations started, but often the, the organization in Ghana has no idea what's happening in, in Nigeria, which is next door, or no idea, and doesn't care really until they need something, you know, or they need to collaborate on something. So I think, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of potential uh, for, for collaboration, because I think this is the way of the future for anything, to be honest, because everything is getting more expensive. Everybody has the same, you know, funding issues, you know, and whatever they start, whatever they do. And I think being able to benefit from insights from others, you know, that are doing the same thing or trying have, or have 10 years ahead of you because they have started 10 years ago uh, with a different, you know, journey and, and maybe a different mission that has evolved because of the challenges they face, you know, um, on the continent, you know, it's definitely something that people should, should share. And to be honest, I really like your speed dating idea. I didn't do it this time, but like have them in a room and talk to each other for two or three minutes, you know, it's... Uh, it's on the next one, next edition. That will be the, the beginning of the session. You have 10 yeah. minutes to know each other, you know, kind of thing. I think this is a great idea. <laughs> but what you were saying about also the separation between people, individuals, mobility, knowledge, uh, sometimes it's really interesting 
to see how people in Africa, and especially I will take the example of North Africa, everyone, everyone knows what is happening in cities like Paris or yes. London or New York, but then when you bring them on the African territory, now North, South, Middle, suddenly there is no connection and there is a huge separation that is sometimes, obviously, we speak a lot about the colonial factor and colonial separation and how we build uh, communities in the 90th, late 19th, 20th century and unfortunately sometimes even in, the, in our century. But I think also this dynamic of creating places of encounter and also institutions within the continent that brings people together is extremely important because mm. dialogue, communication, trade is a very important source of knowledge and I understand what is bringing back an exhibition but I think also it's very important when the start is really an important start sometimes in the continent that brings everyone together and somehow get rid of several layers. And I think that is the most honest way to work also on these, uh, on the, on these uh, transfer interactions. And I think they are very important. Um, a, the last question that I wanted to, uh, to ask that uh, Omar suggested, uh, Dr. Omar suggested is um, what is the most productive way of thinking about uh, and uh, of and about African art and the art of its diaspora to, to help the artists and also uh, help this ecology, uh, this scene that is really booming right now? Is it for me? For both of you. Omar, <laughs> you want to start? <laughs> How to help the artists. I didn't believe that. I, th I can't remember I mentioned that. <laughs> so, so, to help the artist. No, I think that the question generally that for, for all of us, you know, is to think 154 has been here for 10 editions and, you know, and for seven, since when did New York start? Uh, 2015. So then two years later added New York and then Marrakesh soon after, you know, so these this has created a constellation of individuals, networks of people who are talking about art that happens on the, that is from Africa and its diaspora. And the question is, I suppose, how do we also remember that we're, we're talking about artists as well, you know, in, in, in these spaces? So, we're not just talking about the gallery or the artwork. We're not just talking about the foundation and the, and the donor, but also the artist. And we also need to nurture the artist in terms of how they are um, invited to engage in the discourse. And so one of the things that we've done a lot in the, in the forum in the last two editions of the London is to ask people to read something, artists to read and to share things that are emotive, that are effective, that show their feelings, you know, so that we understand now, I can say after the last session that I had goosebumps understanding how Lequena McIver conceives of her name and her words as, a, as public poetry and public sculpture. And that's something that needs to be instilled and I think my question, it's more a, provo a provocation to remember that we also need to invite the artists in the room, you know, when we talk about markets and auctions, let's invite the artists also to ask them how they feel about it. You know, there was uh, a Saturday sale, you know, the, at Christie's where 
artists. Uh, there are no sales on Saturday. <laughs> Friday, 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 Friday. Sorry. No, I'm you joking. Know, Friday, whatever. But we, we hear, I read about it on Saturday yes. because I'm, I'm always late to this information. But, you know, and, you know, uh, one artist who's a friend of mine sold a, a record for her price and I know that she will not be happy about it because, it, not because it's that's crazy a price, but it's like she knows that she's going to have to sit over her ga gallery and go through uh, all the pricing again and, and restructure it and hold back from certain people. I mean, I didn't know any of that. Okay, so not that I have, I haven't put something at auction before because I work, I work in public institutions that, uh, uh, I mean, we did consider once putting a, uh, a Rothko up for, uh, I really tried to get this Rothko drawing up to auction to, so I could buy more artists of color when I was in Chicago, but I could not get the permission to, to do it. Uh, maybe three years later it would have changed, but, but you know, the, there is that uh, process that happens to living artists that I don't know about. And so if I ever want to care for an estate or for or work for a private foundation that is a, an estate, I need to know what it does to an artist's life, yeah. you know? And so that aspect, you know, should be brought in and we should remember that because yeah. so that we can continue to enable artists to subsist because it's like um, you can win a Turner Prize now or you can win a Turner Prize then it's like and they, or you can win an Oscar now or an Oscar then but they often, often there's this thing that's called the Oscar curse or the Turner Prize curse that used to be called that if you win these awards your career stops and I don't want that for anyone, right? I, if I really like someone's work, I want them to continue. So it's to understand that it's about conversation and dialogue and networks and different ways of working together. Uh, for, for this question of auction, because um, I, I'm, uh, I join, I, I'm working with a, uh, with an, uh, in an auction house at Christie's uh, for the last nine months, I, I joined and before that, I, I knew many artists and I'm friends with uh, artists that we sold recently. And um, I'm, uh, so I'm not responsible of sales. Uh, I, I work uh, more on the strategy side, uh, but uh, it was very interesting. Every time there was a work of an artist that I knew, they started writing to me and being really panicking. And I, uh, and I started discovering also the feeling of the artist seeing their works, not controlling ways the work, seeing also sometimes the, the, the value going very, very high or being really scared to see the prices being, uh, going very low. But at the same time, some people want to sell their art after a few years. And if, instead of going back to the galleries or going to the artist, they decide to go to an auction house because it, it is a, a more established structure for, for them. But it's, it's true that uh, we were saying, even before this, um, uh, this panel, that life of an artist is not easy. Mm. And sometimes some artists could be also very, very difficult to deal with. And uh, <laughs> you know that. Uh, but you have to accept it because they go through so many difficulties to be able to perform to, to create and to live also. And the auction house is really, really <coughs> scary to them. And public. And public. Yes. It's like a public uh, situation. Yes. Uh, everybody will know about it. But um, I think to start whatever journey to become an artist, it's very emotional. It's very pure in a way. They put their work there. 
and you're there, either you like it, you don't like it, you buy it, you buy it, it's horrible because they've put all their heart into it and you're like just judging what you see. Um, if you're a collector, you might fall in love with it, but you might also say, it's not my style, I don't want it. Like when you hear those comments. So I feel we've been very lucky over the years because 154 has welcomed a lot of artists and they really enjoy sometimes paying from their pocket to come here and to be part of it. And obviously we invite them to everything. So if we know, you know, the gallery is helping to bring them or they're helping themselves to bring themselves, we'll make sure that, you know, we'll tell you about them to have a talk with them or to make sure that they're invited in all the different, you know, uh, events around around the fair, and we are extremely happy to meet them because we've presented their work, you know, at 154 uh, for 10 years, or in New York, or in London, or in Marrakesh. And to be honest, so far, so good, <laughs> except one artist who was not really happy to be here. Like most of them, have been very excited to be part of this journey with us, and very happy to be around. But you know, I think each of us have a job to do and we I want to say a bit of what you know Koyu is saying that here is the the mind the creativity and us upstairs is also the commercial side of things because I don't think it's very nice for an artist to hear the comments that could be said about his work in the booths you know or with the galleries or um, and I don't think that there's any bad comments but we know somebody who's so emotional who created something so beautiful and like left you know his emotion for you to judge, you know, to be around people who will make comments that either have not, you know, understood the work, but maybe are not, you know, into the liking of the work, or it can happen. But I don't think that sometimes it is, you know, beneficial for the artist to hear those comments as well. You know, sometimes they should leave the commercial aspect of things to mm. to the commercial people, and then you know, um, be have a free mind to be able to create, to be able to engage with the good part of things, which is the curating, the institutions, and, you know. And um, also, you know, also auction house, because I think they focus a lot on the price, but as we did with 154, uh, we invited artists also to speak. We did also collaborations with galleries where yes, we invited the... I think this is changing yeah. as well. Like, yeah. we have definitely, I mean, we have the best relationship for, with the Christie's. I'm not saying that because he's here, but, I mean, when we approach Christie's, I want to say 10 years ago, they, 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 they responded directly to what we were trying to do, uh, saying, yes, we'll support. You know, we were quite green at the time. We didn't know, you know, the primary, secondary, that there was this invisible borders because <laughs> of primary market, secondary market, that the galleries were a bit scared of, you know, and control, controlling of the artists, not wanting them to experience maybe bad results at auctions. I think this is where it comes from. Um, but I mean, in terms of supporting and wanting to be part of, you know, um, the artist discussions or every time we wanted to host a panel discussion at Christie's with the artists, you know, I think um, maybe it's just us as Christie's and, and 154 who were able to blur those lines in terms of galleries not feeling, having that feeling of... Uh, of being threatened by Christie's or, you know, but Christie's, instead of having a department of contemporary African art, they, they decided to engage, I guess, this geography differently, you know, by including artists in their main cells or their mm -hmm. different cells. They've decided to also, you know, be involved with us, you know, to be, I guess, their way in engaging with contemporary yeah, yeah. African art. So I think, you know, I want to say that, you know, it's not um, as clear in terms of of you know who's doing auction, who's doing art fairs, who's into the gallery. I think I mean not to talk about a competitor, but I think Sotheby's announced that they will be representing and selling artists 
without the galleries as well. So I think, um, you know, um, I think, you know, for us, it was kind of like a benediction in this way. We had, you know, the chance to have all Christie's collectors being involved with 154 collectors and work, you know, which we never had before. So it really gave a... a and also to, to come back to the point of uh, Omar, the question of uh, Dr. Omar on the question of the artist, uh, uh, and I don't want to bring this discussion to auction houses. Yes, I think yes, we are yes. not here to, to speak about that. Uh, it, it is also a platform of visibility for artists of some region. To give you an example, I'm talking with one gallery because I really appreciate the work of their artists and I'm asking this gallery to have the work of these artists in an auction, but also really showing uh, the artists, showing the work, talking, because we, we have a reach that galleries sometimes don't, don't have, have at all. And especially for regions like Africa, Middle East, sometimes the impact of an auction house could be very important if it's done obviously in the in the yeah. in a proper uh, proper way and also respecting obviously the work of the artists the artists and uh, and that is what is what we are trying uh, to achieve mm. because I think uh, the the key element in all this ecosystem remains the artist is and remains the artist yes and to be honest you know there is some accidents you know when artists are not you know selling well and you know they were selling better with the galleries etc. But I want to say, you know, if Lynette was never sold at auction, we wouldn't know, you know, what she's worth today, you know, like then it's true that the, the prices have to be restructured and appreciated, but at the same time, you know, suddenly, you know, she's considered a megastar, you know, like you have uh, uh, Billy as well, and you have like, uh, um, I want to say, uh, even Amoako Boafo today, you know, if not somebody didn't dare to put it at auction, um, this would have not, uh, you know, changed you know, his whole career life, you know. Obviously, you know, we want him to continue to have success and all the others as well. But I think at one point, it's good to have a secondary market pricing, you know, to understand how consistent, you know, the, the, the appreciation is. Mm. Um, Dr. Hamar, I don't know if you want to say something or maybe, uh, I don't know if we uh, have any... Qu for questions, yes. maybe. Yeah, five minutes for questions, I believe. Um, Cam Cam Cameron here has a microphone. Um. Hi, thank you so much. It was really insightful. Um, I had a quick question, just for Taria. Um, from your travels across Africa, do you find there's a growing demand for more art spaces to be opened up within the continent, or from both the consumer and the artist, or do you feel that they both prefer to do so outside of the continent? So when I started the fair, most of the galleries that we had engaged with on the continent to do 154, because a lot of people don't know that, but my original idea of 154 was that I wanted it to rotate in Africa. That is how I was seeing it. I was like, it will be like a World Cup kind of a thing. Each country would welcome 154, and I would have the help of the country too. But then obviously I've talked to all the galleries locally, and they were like, you know, giving me the percentage of sale they had locally. And they're like, you know, this is not working for them. You know, most of them were expats or very few local collectors, you know, were, you know, part of the art scene. And I'm going to tell you about something that people don't really talk about, but it didn't mean that they had no collectors locally. But the way collectors and artists engaged in Africa was very different because galleries were not existing. So you had patrons that were collectors <coughs> that were super friends with like a couple of artists and were pretty much 
buying everything they were doing, you know, so they've been, you know, their patrons like at the Medici time, you know, where you had an artist and like make him, you know, part of your family kind of a thing and buying everything he did, you know, not very commercial worldwide, but I think you had a lot of those models. So when the galleries arrived and, and again, when I say galleries, I'm talking about this fine art, you know, there's one or two galleries in Addis Ababa, you know, it's not, you know, it's something where it is normal when we know how many galleries we have in London, you know, it's like a huge country with two galleries, you know, and one that is doing international art fairs. So there's definitely space for much more than this, you know. I don't think they are covering all the artists from Ethiopia, you know, that's for sure. Um, but in terms of how people are acting and buying art, um, there were difficulties, you know, when you had those relationships between collectors directly with the artists, having a gallery coming into that relationship and saying, oh, by the way, now you're going through the galleries and you're, 50, you're paying 50% more because I'm taking 50%. So the whole concept is a Western concept, really, you know, of having a galleries to promote, to do fairs, to do this. And I'm not saying it's a bad concept, but it is, you know, the art world has rules. You have to play by the rules to, to be part of it, you know. So um, I definitely think that when I travel and sometimes, you know, I had the chance to visit a couple of countries where they have one gallery or sometimes they have no gallery so you have an agent for some of the artists, etc. So there's definitely, you know, a need of more space, but also of courageous people who do it because it's not easy, you know. Um, if you see them, you know, doing great here, I can tell you their journey was not easy, you know, like I know most of the financial condition of most of my galleries because we are trying to also make sure we have enough galleries from the continent to participate. So I know the difficulties of the logistics, of bringing work, of, uh, you know, everything that comes about starting that kind of business. Mm. Um, so yes, there's a need for a lot of more space, but it, whatever the person engaged with, you know, in that particular project has to really understand and weight all the consequences of getting into that business because it's not easy. It's not easy because, like, you know, they need representation, but uh, it's a lot of uh, non-profit, I want to say, initiative as well. Yeah, I agree that, that a lot of galleries on the continent are literally fulfilling the function of museums because there aren't any, and mm. they're, they're having to spend that money up front. Mm. Hi, um, I just want to salute you, Toria, because you know I've I've literally bought six copies of your catalogue because I'm giving them to my clients to educate them mm. um, about what you're doing for us and for the primary and the secondary market for them to start um, making sure that um, recognizing African art it's translating to respect of Africans. Full stop. Let alone mm. our art. Um, I th um, as a Sudanese, I'm reading the title of this um, talk because I look at the Middle East as a Western construct. Um, and so I'm, uh, I see us um, as Middle Easterns in Africa. And I think the elephant in the room, if I may be blunt enough to say so, um, from this title is the blackness. Um, mm. And when people talk about African art, um, they can mean black art. And I want... Yeah. Well, it, no, you go, you go, you finish. Um, yeah. I, I'm basically um, curious and um, hoping to ask you um, humbly to please um, petition for black women because we have been fetishized um, in African art, we have been written about, we've been held up, we've been valued and priced and exchanged and sold literally 
um, for centuries, let alone you know in contemporary art now. And here is there an opportunity for you to have the privilege and for you to have access, if I may say so. And I think that's where you know you could be mistaken for Asian. Um, I I don't want to avoid my blackness, and I, I'm unapologetic with it. I'll give you an example. Uh, three days ago, in the Kamal Ibrahim um, sure. press meeting. Oh. I was told that my question was too challenging, but I'm sure, of course, you know, with the pedigree that all three of you bring, you would have brought it across more eloquently. But why is it that when me, as a Sudanese, with my own family aligned, like Toria's, with um, art and culture, when I ask a question with my melanin and my type 4 hair, I'm a disruptor, but yet North Africans, as we are, we have access to the Middle East and Africa, so, you know, do you, do you um, I, I feel there's a duty of care that I humbly ask you to take forward because I'm personally, um, I'm aware of the challenges that Ibrahim al-Salahi had to go through of um, Kamal Ibrahim, even, even Yasmin Abdel Majid, and all of these things wouldn't be possible without Salah Hassan. And I think that this is uh, something or that, we, we need to take forward as Afro-Arabs or Arab-Africans because I have to choose between being African and Arab and you know you don't have to so please take that torch mm. forward because we need you for that mm. and I'm protective over my black womanhood because um, the secondary market needs to, 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 to really pay attention and um, thank you for all you do, I really appreciate you. So the good news, you want to hear the good news about this? Give me good news. At auction house. By the way, uh, thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you, no, no, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for that. No, 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 we, I mean, it's, uh, sorry for the mic, but uh, yeah, I, it's, uh, it's here and I think it's, uh, I, um, I think we have all, uh, sorry, uh, no, 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 uh, I think we all have experiences and we, we all, uh, because, I mean, I don't know, because we value humanity in general, we value that very, very strongly. But thank you for expressing that, and it's sometimes, even for us, very hard to express that, mm. uh, because, uh, because sometimes also we can't be vocal for the blackness not being black, being African, not being African. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. We do it more easily. In my, uh, in my case, I do it more easily with uh, my Arabness, because I really, this is something that is uh, root, probably more rooted, even though I come from a village in south of Tunisia where probably 60% of the population is black. And, uh, and uh, but this is personal, and I don't think your question is something with my uh, yeah. personal experience, but a question for us. Yeah, I wanted to talk about women and auction house and prices and appreciation, you know. So, um, the, I want to say international uh, uh, auction house um, results in the past years, you know. I think the five guys that they have top on the top of the total sales are five guys, five white guys, you know, who are dead. Mm. And basically, one is one is alive, but look, is practically dead. dead yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but when you take the total sales at auctions of African artists, the top three, the top three are women, black women. So I mean, obviously, we don't belong to the total yet of. But I think what we could be very proud when I guess in other geographies they have a problem having women, you know, on the top, you know, in terms of auction sales. I think African women, black African women are doing really well at auctions. 
Um, now here, you know, I'm not going to tell you, well, Africa is very different than the rest of the world. There's less women that are artists, less recognition women around the world. So I don't think Africa is going to be different than that, you know, because there's a lot of things that impact women that don't impact men. Uh, a woman artist going to a residence in anywhere in the world is not, you know, thought of as a woman being a mother, being a family, you know, a carer. Uh, when she goes into a residency, mm. she can't go for three months leaving her kid or her mother behind or her father mm. or whatever. And I think only when you're an African person, you can understand that a woman in a family is much more than an artist. You know, she mm. is the head of the family. She's taking care of the family. And that doesn't mean just her children, but maybe her parents, maybe mm. everything else. So, you know, this is what is one of the richness of Africa because we have that social family entity, but it is also what will you know, also make women not automatically having the same opportunity as the rest of you know, the world. So what I really loved about uh, this fantastic discussion with Diana Jackson, who's living in Africa, but she's an American photographer, um, African-American photographer, and she said like she opened a residency for one of the most talented photographers you know, from South Africa. And she said, you know, when I tell her she can leave at my house, uh, she came with her mom and her kid, and she said that was for her, you know, coming to a residency and going back to the studio. That's the only way she could do it, you know. She couldn't leave her family, you know, behind. And she understood that. So now her residency program is about that, you know, and supporting that type of, uh, of environment. But, I mean, you're right. But as Eda is saying, you know, the only thing I always have to do is play my African card as well because people will look at me saying, why am I talking about, you know, black women when I'm not black, you know, as well. Um, and sometimes I have to remember when I'm in a room or part of a panel that, you know, I'm Moroccan, I'm African. Why are we not talking about Morocco or North African in the room, you know, and it's an African event. They completely neglect, you know, North Africa. So, I mean, the experiences I hope are changing, but, you know, we are experiencing, you know, the same on both sides of that invisible border that for me doesn't exist, but I see it and I see it more and more, you know, when I go to those events, you know, where I'm often, you know, considered not African, because I'm not black or I'm like not, I shouldn't speak because I'm North African and I don't, I can't feel the feeling. And to say about, about another anecdote, we had once this beautiful Gary that I really respect called Marianne Ibrahim. I'm talking 2013 when we started, she did the fair with us and um, I took her to a Christie's event and sorry, but it was 2013. So I'm not talking about now, but it was one of those cool, you know, freeze week parties. Um, the girl is like stunning, okay, and she's a beautiful African woman. And for me, that's why people were staring at her, but for her, her feeling is like she was the only African in the room, you know, black woman in the room. So the, the art world is really white. Uh, this is something that everybody, I think, right now um, is trying to change. You know, I think the the, the Black Lives Matter uh, and George Floyd, George Floyd event, you know, in 2020 really made, you know, that impact on people. So I see, you know, when I talk to organizations, to auction houses, to all the ecosystem in the art world, you know, mm. um, they really are pledging, you know, to change that. But it takes time. You also have to find the people. You have to find, you know, the people with the capabilities to do those jobs, you know, like so it takes sometimes a generation. It takes education. It takes a lot of... Uh, a lot of things, you know, and I see it because myself, you know, we make a real effort to hire, you know, people from different backgrounds, you know. Uh, people sometimes will tell me you're just a woman, but we have Cameron, thank God, you know, that is playing the card <laughs> of the man, the, 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 the whatever he wants, but he's here. But everybody was saying we're having 
just a woman team. Like, you know, I was doing it on purpose. I never did it on purpose. It's people who were obviously interested in the same thing. I'm not Procter & Gamble. We have a team of seven, so we do the best we can. But we're not going to change the world. We're just going to change our little ecosystem. And we always did it. So, I mean, you know, but I can tell you in terms of difficulties of finding the right people for the job is not easy because there's people going to art, going to those kind of fields as well. So, and art world is known to be paid badly, you know, so yeah. when you can do a career in law or, you know, <laughs> or finance, you know, why would you choose art, you know, when, you know, you, you want to earn good salaries, you know, like it's, uh, it's always been a privileged world and I think people, you know, from, you know, people with wealth, you know, coming to work and doing internships and things like that, who didn't really care about being paid a lot because they had their family behind it, you know, so even getting to adjust those salaries to an entry level salary or to 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 something where it can be competitive for somebody from um from the African diaspora or from the African you know uh, continent to come and decide to work for the organization is very hard we have like the reality of things that is hitting us every every day you know uh, where it is you know something that we embrace it's in our mission but it's not you know what you can do when you run three fairs at a time, you know, and you're trying to run from one to another and, you know, trying to be as efficient as possible. Um, just, just on that, I wanted to just reflect and say that I do think that, you know, what you do is incredible as a team of seven people, um, you know, but it's also about sustainability and not burning out. And I think that we all need pause and reflection and sleep and retreat, and I mean that in the most simple, simple sense. I'm not talking about anything more, more luxurious than being in a bed. And I, I think that um, sometimes when you, sometimes all of us, uh, especially when we're minorities in a field, we work harder and uh, people then expect more of us for the same amount of money, for the same sponsorship for the same whatever and I think that we also need to put a value on who it is that we are and that is really really important to continue to do that for all for all of the individuals who are representing and that is the very important thing is that I I can sit here and represent many diff many identities as can you and as can you and I believe that in, when we are on, in these seats, we should represent and we must represent. Uh, but we also then need to switch off and regroup and interrogate the whole structure. And I, because I never use the term art world anymore, I use the art industry because I feel like a world is nourishing. Uh, but for me, increasingly, it's been, been it's not been nourishing. So I would like to go back to the art world. Mm. Let's get bring it back. But I think it's going to take us. Um, a step back to get back to that because right now we're just in the machine <laughs> I, I want to um, before thanking everyone for their attention and being with us today I just want to say also uh, Toria how honestly beautiful it is uh, to come to this fair and um, speaking about more classical and conservative crowd for a fair uh, when you arrive here and you see all the people, the diversity, young people, um, these notions of inclusions that are part of your fair for 
10 years, 9 years, it is uh, you, if I work a lot and I'm tired, shouldn't be tired, but if you work a lot and you're tired, I'm so proud you're tired because you're building something really beautiful, amazing. And uh, Dr. Omar is here also to build an amazing program, but what you've been doing and the people you're bringing together here in New York, in Marrakesh, or even Paris, is really remarkable. And uh, being in this art world now industry, uh, seeing that is really is really beautiful, and I can feel it. And you build it, and uh, and uh, I want to personally thank you for that, uh, and uh, and thank you for for all the amazing people you're bringing together. Thank you very much, and thank you very much for being with us today. Thank, thank you. you. Let it, والله تعرف كي جيت والله ايش تو سي جيتي يا دو جور يا دو كيلكو جور